At home, turn us up. In your car, turn us on. At work, tell others about Talking with Ms. T, the talk show that's giving you trending topics, noted news, interesting interviews, community updates, and so much more. It continues right now. Miss T. She'll do the talking. All you got to do is be a good listener. Greetings, listeners. This is Tanisha Baker, and you're on Talking with T where we hit the roof with the truth and the floor with much more of trending news, interesting interviews, new music, and much more. Today is February 29th, better known as Leap Day, which occurs only during Leap Year. If today is your birthday, which you have once every four years, you share it with your birthday mates, rapper and actor Ja Rule, writer-poet Saul Williams, and African-American Olympic swimmer Cullen Jones. Today is also the birth date of the late Willie Donald Smith, one of the most successful African-American fashion designers in fashion history. At the time of his death, his company, Willie Wear Limited, sold $25 million in clothing a year. Today in history, Hattie McDaniel became the first African-American to win an Oscar for her role as Mammy in the movie Gone with the Wind. As we wrap up the theme for this month, Feel Good February, remember to identify what makes you feel good physically, mentally, and spiritually. Grow in self-love and embrace your individuality, remembering that you are enough. Build your confidence while taking pride in your strengths. Make healthy choices and take time to exercise. Take care of your body. Spend time reflecting and renewing. Make yourself a priority. Stay positive and productive. Do what makes you happy. Minimize or eliminate those things that bring you down or cause you stress. Don't compare yourself to others. Be kind and practice gratitude. Relax, breathe, and smell the roses as well as the rain. Well, listeners, We have brought you many interesting interviews, and as we continue to bring you real stories from real people, I have with me today Mr. Michael Logan. Michael, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm glad you decided to come on Talking With T. All right, Michael, so why don't you just jump right in and share some of your story with us? Okay, well, from birth till about age 12, I lived the normal childhood that I guess most people would live, but around age 11 or age 12, I began to discover who I was, I believe, and okay. who I who I was wasn't necessarily accepted in a, in a Southern Baptist black household or what have you. My brother was very into sports, and he was a common teenager, but I was more into music and being by myself. Some people would think introverted. And so I was diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar and things like that. Well, really, I was just a kid that liked to be by myself. So I felt very alone. And before long, I got tired of it. And I know at age 12, it seems like, little dude, you should stay in your place and do what your mama say. But I was rebellious. And I always felt like I needed to leave, so I did. So you left home at the age of 12, which was pretty bold. Mm-hmm. At age 12, when I left, I didn't know what to do, really. And my dad was an alcoholic, and he was on drugs, but he had an open door. So I left my mom's middle-class home and 
went to East Knoxville to the projects where my dad lived. And um, I kind of stayed there. But from there, I ran into older men, older homosexual men that were willing to allow me to come into their homes. And for the and trade what age? What age was this? About 12, 13. Oh, you're still in your 12, early teens? Yeah, still in my 12, okay. early teens. Oh, yeah. And I had sex and lost my virginity to one guy in particular who was in his mid-twenties. And um, from there, I lived and I moved from him and went to another and moved from him, went to another. And in the midst of all this, I was introduced to drugs. And some of them smoked weed, some of them did alcohol. And to survive, I learned how to sell cocaine and crack. And then I met another homosexual man, but he was a crack smoker. And in the midst of all this, I became very codependent on these people. Because if I didn't have right. those people, I didn't have a place to lay my head. So it was kind of so let me make sure I was doing. Yeah, let me make sure I have the pieces together so I understand that what you discovered when you said you kind of discovered who you were that wasn't accepted was that you were a homosexual. Yes. And yes. so at that point, um, you kind of started dabbling in drugs, alcohol, but basically a lot of the choices that you had were um, ones that would provide you with a place to stay. Absolutely. So, That's right. Okay. All right. So you were getting into these, and I would call them false relationships, with older mm -hmm. men because they were providing for you the necessities that you needed as far as food and shelter. That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So now we're at a point now where you've been introduced to a variety of drugs. You're living an alternative lifestyle. When I say alternative, I mean one that wasn't commonly accepted, mm -hmm. particularly at that time. Okay. So now you're with this gentleman who smokes crack. Right. And okay. I, I stayed with him off and on for probably three or four years okay. and around age 15 I finally got away from him and ran into what I thought was a real relationship and then you know I that's kind of hard at 15 to determine that you know <laughs> you had a lot going on in your early teens but it's really hard at that age because you know most of us really don't know what love is and we don't know the expectations and requirements of real relationships but that being said, here you are at 15, finding what you think at that time is a real love and a real relationship, right? Right. Well, see, I've always been one of those people that people say I've been here before or have an old soul or whatever. And right. I think that is what the attraction with these older people were. Because I could lie to them at the age of 15 and tell them I was 20, and they were cold. Cold blooded, believe me, <laughs> you know. Okay. But um, and that's pretty much what I did with this one that I met at fifteen. But from there, I discovered, hey, I don't have to necessarily do certain things just for shelter. I can actually like be in love and be in a relationship and this and that. So I got a job and I got a car and things of that nature. But then I later learned the truth about that too, because it was still a codependent situation. Because when he left. That car was in his name. The apartment was in his name. And once again, I was stuck at square one with nowhere to go but back to the project and back to the drugs. And so I did. Okay. Well, I now, did are you that. still in Knoxville at this point or have you moved? 
Well, I'm still in Knoxville when okay. that right. when that relationship dissolved. But mm-hmm. from Knoxville, I stole a car at age 16. I stole a car and I moved out to Atlanta. And from 16 to 19, I lived in Atlanta. And that whole saga repeated itself, but this time it was worse because I was pretty much a trick, a prostitute. Oh, God. Okay. But um, I never met anybody that I lived with continuously. I would pretty much just spend the night. I had a backpack that I carried with me, and I slept in Piedmont Park most of the time at just 16, 17 years old. You know, but when you're living that life, you don't realize just how crazy it is. <laughs> but right. thinking, thinking back on it, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm 31 now, and I'm just like, uh-uh. <laughs> I can't believe I survived, but I did. But I'll tell you this. Sleeping in that park, I woke up one morning, and there was an old man on the bench about three benches up from me. And he just walked over to me. He said, young man, what you doing out here? And I said, I'm out here. I can't remember what I said, but I'm pretty much out here because I want to be. You need to mind your business type of deal. And he was like, well, I don't mean to be in your business or nothing, but I see that you're young, this and that, and I just, I'm I'm pretty much concerned for you. But if you're going to be out here, then I want to teach you something. And that man took me by my hand, and he walked me over to the little water uh, fixture or whatever, the little pond that they got in the middle of Piedmont Park. And he was like, you see that sun rising over there? And I said, yeah. He was like, well, if you're going to be out here, make sure you thank God for that sunrise. Because there's a lot of people got houses and cars and things, and they don't never notice the sun. <laughs> and and I know that might seem like nothing, but it has stuck with me all my life. And from there, yeah. I've been able I've been able to see God in things that are not material. You know, and so it's been kind of it's been kind of my survival now from age 19 to 23. I was pretty much just your average drug user, but I always maintained a good look. I shop. I would sell enough drugs to be able to maintain my habit. So people that would see me, they wouldn't have believed it. But the people that knew me, they knew what was going on. So it wasn't really hidden. It would get out that I was doing this, doing that. At age 23, I had a guy that I was sexually involved with, and I stole his car. I hit him up top of the head, let him get out of his car, and me and my sister drove off. Well, let me ask you something. And, I, you know, and I appreciate you sharing this, but I'm just trying to understand. Because I know often when people are, are using drugs and are in that lifestyle, they don't make really conscious decisions, you know, ones that seem to make sense. But you're telling me that this person you're in a relationship with, you hit him over the head and stole his car. Yeah. Right? I wouldn't necessarily in a you, relationship. But. but he knew you. Y'all knew each other. Oh, yeah. So my next question is, did you not think you were going to get caught when you robbed somebody you know? Or did, that, you, I, or did you just... Go ahead. When you're high, that don't matter. Right. Okay. It might have right. it might have it might have crossed my mind that hey, he gonna call the police and you gonna get caught. But what was in front of that was okay. I'm gonna take this four hundred. I just got up off of him and I'm gonna go get me some crack. <laughs> you know. And when that crack okay. ran out, I sold I sold the rims off his car to go get me some more crack. You know. But okay. when you come down off of that, reality hits you then. You're like, Lord, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna have to hide out. This and that. I know he didn't call the police. 
So when I got caught, I knew that it was coming. But it's still okay. a shocker to, to wake up the next morning. You're like, dang, I'm facing 12 years, you know? I'm facing So how many years. times is this now that you've been in jail at this point? At the age of 23, I had been to jail in three different states, uh, probably seven or eight times. From age okay. 18 to now, I probably spent maybe three and a half, four years on the street. Okay. Because I go All back right. and forth to jail so much. All right. So now you're back in jail. You're 23. And what happens next? At 23, the judge sentenced me to 12 years for carjacking. Also, before that, well, he gave me 10 years for carjacking, excuse me. I was already on two years of uh, probation because I snatched an old lady's purse in West Ham Mall, and I ran. I don't know where I was going. I was nowhere near the parking lot, uh, exit door or nothing. I just snatched a purse and ran through the middle of the mall. I was high okay. on Xanax and crack. But um, that two years plus 10 years for carjacking, he sent me to prison for 12 I did four of those years in um, West Tennessee State Prison. No, excuse me, Northwest Correctional Complex up in Tiptonville. And um, after four years, I was released on parole. While in there for that four years, I'll say a transformation began. Um, okay. God has a way of, even in the midst of my mess, he would always, like, place me in different situations where I was learning stuff. And so I took a drug class, and in this drug class, I found out that my my drug addiction was not my main issue. My main issue was codependency and being accepted by people. And mm. I realized then that's what led me into drugs because sometimes I could be sober because if the person I'm with wasn't doing drugs, I'll be sober as long as they're around, but I'm doing whatever they're doing. You know what I mean? If they was college kids, I was trying to get in school. If they, I mean, whatever. If, I had one friend that uh, has a habit of selling stuff on eBay. I became an eBay seller just because I stayed with them. And I ain't really okay. enjoyed it. But then when I left okay. them, I was on to something else, you know. Right, so it was, right. it was codependency before anything else. And so that was like the beginning of my transformation. And I had a fight with this guy, and I went to the hole. And coming out of the hole, I prayed a prayer. And I said, God, I think I know, but I need to know some more. Because what I thought I knew ain't enough. It ain't working. So tell right. me the truth. Show me everything. Like, I need to get this together. And, Miss T, I tell you, since then, I know God is real because I have learned so many unconventional truths that are not taught to the I'm not gonna say the black community, but weren't taught in my household. Like okay. I always thought, I always thought that God was at church, or God was when you pray at night, or when you pray before your food. I didn't realize that He was really a personal guide, you know, not just a guide, but a guide, you know. Like you can yeah. literally just just walk through this world and depend on Him, and He'll literally just place stuff in place in front of you and. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to the right because I see you over there. Okay, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And since then, right. it's just been it's just been like awesome. I don't even really know how to explain it, but I got out of prison at 27 from there, 
and this change was beginning to take place. But it wasn't a full change. I hadn't fully uh, grasped the concept of what was next. I can't say that I have. I'm not going to sit here and lie. I can't because when I got out of prison, I got with a female because I thought that that was the big change. You know, I, I found God, so I'm straight now. <laughs> right. Okay. It doesn't work quite that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. Okay. All right. It doesn't work that way. So I got with her, and I thought her thing was good. And she told me one day, she was like, if you gay, you just gay. And I was like, what you mean? <laughs> she was like, I already know. You know, I can tell. I ain't going to get too graphic, but right, you, right. you know what I mean? And we had I that long conversation. That. <laughs> right yeah. but uh, we had this long conversation about it and that just let me know hey if she can tell then I'm really out of my element and, and being close to God don't mean being something that you're not right it just it just doesn't for me so at that point even though what she said was true I didn't quite accept it and it made me more depressed because I thought I was doing everything right that time and she right. left and I went back into drugs. I got out of the halfway house. When I got out of parole, I was put in the halfway house, and that's where I met her. She was one of, excuse me, one of the counselors that was in the halfway house, and we got together and stuff when I got out of the halfway house. And then when she left, I got back on drugs, pretty much. And um, I moved back to Knoxville. My grandmother had got real sick, and she was my world. Like, my grandmama was my everything. Like, everything about me is her. She writes music, I write music, she does poems, I do poems, she likes to dance and write plays, me too, she enjoys nature. I mean, everything about me, I literally get from my granny. And when she passed in 2013, 2013 was my year of wake up, is what I call it. I even wrote a spoken word piece about waking up. And um, that year, everything changed. In July of that year, excuse me. I got back on drugs, and I overdosed severely, and I passed out, and it just so happened my neighbor heard me. I was in Waukegan, and the guy next door heard me, I guess, through the wall. I I don't remember if I was hollering or what, but he just said he heard me, and he came over, and he put me in a tub, cold water, and he cleaned me up and cleaned the bathroom up and everything, which is so... Right. That, it was so odd because where do you find that in Walter Peace? <laughs> you know? Right. But um Well, you know, God he, places his angels anywhere that he needs. Anywhere. That is so mm-hmm. true. And um when I came out of that, I just got high again. Wow, you've just heard part one of my interview with Michael Logan. Be sure to tune in next week as we hear the remainder of this remarkable story. Don't touch that dial. I'll be back in a while after we listen to new music from our featured artist today, Jackie Hampton. Jackie is originally from Kingsport, Tennessee, and her song No Way Out features Carlton star Relaford. I'm listing her booking information on the webpage under today's show. Remember, you heard it here first on Talking With T. Breathing death became priority
of my destiny. my destiny And even in my iniquity God, you still require the best of me I was that lie, I've been too quiet I felt sure I was broken, but no, not now So I gave up trying To go back to what I thought I needed I need you, I give my life to you for trending news and this is the portion of the show that explores hot topics and we encourage you to think about the implications of these stories and how they may impact your community and your world. You can always check out these stories and find more details on www.talkingwith2.com. So let's start with the latest political controversy surrounding Donald Trump as he received an endorsement from Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke and he actually refused to denounce him. So Trump says that he knows nothing about David Duke or white supremacy. 
He was flat out asked if he would denounce and condemn the Ku Klux Klan, and he just refused to make a affirmative statement regarding that. So although he claimed in an interview, which I posted on the website, that he doesn't know David Duke, he had actually mentioned him in an interview back in 1990. So his statement appears to be untrue. So I think, you know, this is kind of frightening since Trump is the Republican frontrunner. And I encourage you to check out the link posted on the webpage for full details. But this is quite interesting. Yes, indeed. Um, And also, I just happened to be looking online, and several sources have even stated that Donald Trump's father was a member of the KKK. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, the plot thickens. We'll have to follow this story and see how it all turns out. But speaking of the Ku Klux Klan, they recently had a rally in Southern California, and they were met with protesters. And as they pulled up in a black SUV, protesters smashed out the car windows, and really I don't know any other way to say it than all hell broke loose. Of course, the scene was captured on video because, you know, everybody has their camera phones ready. Uh, to capture any moment at any given time, but Klansmen were reportedly kicked, and one Klansman was caught stabbing a man with a flagpole. Police officers on the scene also reported witnessing a Klan member stabbing a protester with a knife, so by the time it was all said and done, three people had been stabbed and 12 people were arrested, including five uh, members of the Klan. That it just wasn't black people that were going after the Klansmen. There was a large chunk of white people beating up the Klansmen, too. Right, and I think in general people are really starting to denounce uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And amid racial tensions in our country, I think that those that were silent who have probably secretly disagreed with white supremacy or racial biases or bigotry, are starting now to kind of come out of the closet and join in the protest to say, you know, I don't agree with this. So I think that is a positive thing, that black and white and brown and yellow and whatever color can unite to say that we have had enough of this type of activity. Well, moving on, we all know that teaching is difficult, and Jay and I have been in education for many years. So I think we both experienced the highs and lows of working with you. But this next story is quite disturbing. So three middle school girls in Florida were recently accused of trying to poison their teacher. They're facing felony charges for putting red pepper flakes in their teacher's soda. Now, this just isn't an innocent prank because when the teacher drank the drink, she began to choke and have shortness of breath. She literally could have died. Okay, so here's the thing. Did the teacher not know that she's supposed to keep her eyes on her beverage at all times? Now, I'm notorious for walking around my room in the midst of my lesson with my coffee cup in my hand, you know, for several reasons. Number one, because caffeine keeps me fairly sane, particularly in the mornings. But secondly, because, you know, if I put my cup down and I turn my head, God knows what's liable to happen, you know. Thankfully, my uh, students this year are pretty decent. Shout out to my kids and whatnot. But, you know, you never really know. You don't. I feel like I need to just drink water and Sprite. But what happened, the three girls plotted and planned this. So they actually distracted her. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to go by and try to catch her, um, leaving her drink accessible. They planned it and distracted her from the drink. Okay. And they must have Googled that to know that what the fake red pepper flakes will do to you. I would say so because I would have never thought of that. 
Also in the news, an Ohio pastor was shot and killed, apparently by his brother, doing church service. So I'm thinking from the classroom to the church house. There just seems to be no place sacred and protected from those that intend to do harm or commit violence in our country. That's true. And have they say what the motive was for him shooting his own brother dead in front of the congregation? No, um, I didn't see that in the story. I know he's been arrested, but I don't know what the motive was. I'm sure there was some type of family dispute, but it had to be really deep for someone to go and shoot their own brother, particularly with his brother being a minister, and to walk straight into the church with the congregation there. The choir was singing in the choir box when he went in and shot his brother. So it's a really a sad scene. So, Jay, I know you had a couple of other things to share on the lines of trending news this week. Yep. Apple has this injunction from one of the federal judges to unlock one of the phones that was used by Syed Rizwan Farouk, one of the San Bernardino killers. And, of course, the uh, FBI wants Apple to come up with some sort of way to unlock Mr. Farouk's phone so they can get his personal information. Now, we can file this under the now I ain't going to be able to do it file because Tim Cook, the president and CEO of Apple, wrote a very strongly worded letter to Apple customers and said that pretty much there's no way possible that they can really come up with some sort of way to break into Mr. Farouk's phone without coming up with this operating system and releasing it to the rest of Apple's consumers. So Apple is definitely taking a stand for personal privacy on digital devices. And he says that, and I quote, while we believe that the FBI's intentions are good, it would be wrong for the government to force us to build a back door into our product. And ultimately, we said this demand would undermine the very freedoms and liberty our government is meant to protect. Here's my thing, and I saw somebody mention this on Facebook the other day, and I had I shared the exact same sentiments. And I know it's going to sound a little bit flippant, but what they need to do is get in touch with YouTube because many of us who are users of iPhones were awakened several months ago to this unwanted YouTube album on our iPhone. So however the heck you, you <laughs> too, with Bono and them were able to get into our iPhones, you know, maybe the FBI needs to look into that. So anyway, flipping comment aside, uh, I'm intrigued to hear what the rest of the listeners have to say about this. Does the FBI have the right to go into not just Mr. Farouk's iPhone, but anybody else's iPhone in general? And okay. what are the implications here? Okay, so I'm going to post a poll on the webpage and let the listeners vote on whether they think that Apple needs to protect the privacy, regardless of the FBI's request, particularly as it relates to a killer or a criminal and an investigation that they may be able to track down some, uh, I guess, they want to see if he was in cahoots, so to speak, with some others. And I do know this. I, in listening to uh, an interview, they had said that if one of the police officers on the scene had ordered that that phone be reset, and had it not been reset, they would have access to the information that they wanted. So he was saying that they should have contacted Apple prior to resetting the phone, and we wouldn't be at this point in the controversy. 
And additionally, they would have to write, like you said, some specific software that would allow them to kind of break into a phone and retrieve information that has been pretty much erased. So again, we're going to invite the listeners to go on the web page and I'll post a link to the poll so you can weigh in on whether Apple should release this information and create this software for the FBI. So what else do you have for us, Jay? All right. So by the time the show airs, the Oscars will have been over, and everyone will have seen Stacey Dash make her little cameo appearance with Sid Rock. She's supposed to be the tongue-in-cheek, rather, the new director of diversity for the Academy. And, Please uh, tell me you're kidding. No. Wait, wait. Don't rewind, rewind, baby. <laughs> Say that again. I said Stacey Dash made a cameo appearance on the Oscars, and she is the new director for diversity of the Academy. I believe that was the title that was bestowed upon her. And she wished everybody a happy Black History Month and went off stage. Now, needless to say, there was the sound of crickets. You could have heard a pin drop. You could have heard a mouth relieving itself on a piece of cotton. Because <laughs> clearly the audience at the Oscars was not here for Stacey Dash. Go in your role book and mark them absent because they were not here for her. Moving on, Eva Longoria has started this brown ribbon campaign for the Oscars, and she's asked several Academy Award attendees to wear brown ribbons to bring awareness to the lack of Latino representation in the Oscars and Hollywood in general. And Eva Longoria says, I can't wait for the day when, quote-unquote, diversity isn't just the hot topic of the moment, but a true reality that is reflected on screen. The change is coming, and I'm happy to be a part of it. She's urged several of her fellow Latino actors and actresses to wear brown ribbons, as well as their supporters to show their support for an increased Latino presence and visibility in Hollywood and also to pretty much blow up social media with the hashtag Hollywood Brownout and hashtag Brown Ribbon Campaign. Okay. So I think, uh, so to speak, this is admirable that she is also representing her culture and wanting to increase inclusion of the Latino population and, Jay, when you first told me about that, I thought, well, let me just look that up so I can make sure that I provide the link to that information and that story for the listeners on Facebook and Twitter and the webpage. But when I looked it up, there was already a brown ribbon campaign prior to her initiating it. And the brown ribbon, just like, you know, we have different colors. You know, we have pink for breast cancer awareness, we have purple for domestic violence, you have green for mental health, and so on. But the brown ribbon actually represented colon cancer. So I'm not sure that when she decided to choose a color that she did her research. However, (laughs) I admire what (laughs) she's trying to attach to the brown ribbon campaign, but she may have chosen tan or beige, or something that has not already been attached to another cause. But still, hats off to her. Often on Talking With T, many of our stories are relative to things that we find important to our community in particular, um, also to African Americans as we touch on issues of racism, diversity. But our goal is really to spark conversations and to make people aware of what's going on in the world. And I know along these lines, Pam, you have another story to share about how this kind of surfaces in the news. 
Yes, I do. I have a story about Melissa Harris Perry, who has a show on NSNBC called Place for Politics. Now, this started a couple weeks ago. She felt that she was being silenced by the network, and all her shows were being edited or preempted. So she sent out an email stating that, you know, she wasn't pleased with the way they were going with her show because she likes to speak on things that are going on within the community, within the world. So some of them are racially motivated, but that's just what seems to be going on at the moment, she said. She also stated that she was not a puppet, she was not a brown bobblehead, and she wasn't nobody's man. And she wanted to pretty much say what she wanted to say on her show. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, she's standing up for what she believes in, and that's one of the things that we talk about in fairness in media. You know, although we have a little fun with our stories and sometimes we inject some of our personal opinions, yet and still, we are very careful to make sure that we have accurate reporting and the facts are the facts. And again, you know, people may like it, may not, but these news stories are important to somebody. And I think that she, again, was reporting what she felt was important and what her listening audience wanted to hear. She's been on that show for almost four years. And, you know, there's always somebody who's going to be offended by what you share, but I don't think that it's fair to try to muffle the voices. I think that any good station would have a wide variety of reporting and um, appeal to multiple audiences, not just one. So I want to thank you, too, for sharing today's topics and trending news, and I can't wait to hear what you have next week. And I can't wait to tell it. And, you know, I'm going to say it. All right now. Well, once again, we've come to an end. But stay engaged by visiting www.talkingwitht.com and following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope. Look out for Talking With T Live coming soon so that you can engage with the show and join in the discussions. I will post dates and times for upcoming conversations so you can talk with T. You can also download Talking With T on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Additionally, you can also subscribe to Talking With T Daily, which is my online newspaper, and get your daily scoop of trending news. Don't forget to nominate a hometown hero or a top team. And we welcome suggestions for topics or more of what you would like to hear on Talking With T. If you are an artist and want your music featured on Talking With T, please contact us for a chance to get your talent noticed. If you have a story to tell, Hit me up for an opportunity to be heard as we continue to share real people with real stories. On that note, I'll end with a quote. Aerodynamically, the bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly. But the bumblebee doesn't know that, so it goes on flying anyway. Remember where you heard the word, keep the peace until next week. You've been listening to Talking with Tea.